0: Good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Um, Isn't that last song a great song? Uh, That's what we're meant to do. If you didn't know why you were created, you were created to know and love God and be in a relationship with Him. The rest flows out of that. And so just us singing together, God, you're so good, that's what we're made to do. So if that felt really good to you, there's a reason you were made for it. So think back. Uh, Some of you are, are high school now, but think back. Remember in high school, Remember maybe your first time walking into the cafeteria as a freshman, or you move to a new town, uh, and, and you go to school, whatever, and you walk into the cafeteria. What is kind of the main worry, concern, fear most of us normal people would have walking in there? Seniors? Seniors? <laughs> <laughs> that was true for me. <laughs> yes. Um, or, or I think most of us are coming in and be, where am I going to sit? Who am I going to sit With, right? Am am I gonna be stuck alone all by myself, right? Or or you're trying to find your group. Maybe you're blessed, you had friends coming in, you're like, that's my group. And eventually, you you find a group, hopefully, not everybody does, but you find a group. And a high school uh, cafeteria is kind of a a neat little picture of the rest of society, like thrown into one room, right? Because you have the different groups. At least, here's what it was way back when I was in high school there was the cowboy group, there was the skater group. we didn't have the goth group. That was new since then, but there's now the goth group, right? Or the, the athlete group or the Christian group. Like, there's these different groups. And if your experience was like mine, you're in a group, and you're free to wander, right? I mean, maybe you go from different group, whatever, but you always had a, a home base group that you could come back to and like, these are my peeps. And it kind of continues. You know, you go to college, you have fraternities, sororities. Um, you think about people in the, in the inner cities and places they join gangs. Why? We want to belong. There, there's just something part of us God made us to belong. You know, I said at the beginning we're made to worship, but we're also made to be social. We're made to belong. And I think the first thing God gives us to, to fill that is our families, right? God blesses us with families. You, you've heard, you know, blood is thicker than water. Our families should be, I mean, totally sermon within a sermon, they should be a place where our kids belong, right? This is, these are my peeps. This is where I am accepted and loved no matter what. But we're made to belong. Now, add into that, say you've got a group doing something worthwhile. There's going to be an even deeper connection. Think of military, right? Those who have been in service together, they create bonds that last entire lifetimes. Sports teams, uh, you know, those committed, maybe especially the ones that are kind of successful, they can create some of these bonds or even just serving together. Now, you probably know where I'm going with this. The place that God has given second, I'd say, to the family for us to belong and make a difference is the church. God has given us the church to belong and make a difference. And just if you're new to Common Ground, here's what we do. We go through a book typically or we teach topically, but it's always based on a passage I study the passage, or whoever's teaching studies the passage and goes, what is the main idea of this passage? That's the main point, and we'll try and make that relevant to us, you know, in in a real way. Well, here, I'm going to give you the main point right up front, and it's this. Every Jesus follower is intended to find a home and a family among a local church body. Every single one of us. We are intended to have a place where we belong and make a difference. Now, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, so please turn to Philippians. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. Grab that. If you don't own a Bible, you get to keep that one. Just write your name on it um, because they all look alike. And in that Bible, you can turn to page 1083, 1083, the book of Philippians. And we're going to be looking at that. Now, the entire series of Philippians is titled A Place to Belong and Make a Difference. And it's interesting because Paul is writing to a church and a lot we're going to learn from inference, right? We're just going to learn from the example of Paul, the example of these people. And kind of an overwhelming theme through the book is they're committed to one another and to the gospel. And in that, they experience a lot of things. And so, one of the great themes through this book is Jesus is enough. Hey, y'all are suffering? Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. Hey, you're poor? Jesus is sufficient, right? You are trying to do your best to expand the kingdom and go. They were very ambitious for the gospel. Jesus is enough. And so there's a theme through it. Let's all get together, belong, make a difference. And in it, Jesus is enough. Now we're done. We can skip the rest of the book. But no, we are going to start. And the question we're going to answer today, partly, is what does it look like to belong to a local church and make a difference? What does it look like? Philippians 1. We're going to start with the first two verses. Today, we're just going through the intro. It says, Paul and Timothy. Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's get a little context because here's, here's the truth. This is a, a letter written from Paul to the church at Philippi. Guess what? We're not Philippi. This was written in the first century. Guess what? It's not the first century. Here's my point. This isn't written to you. It's not written to me. It's written from Paul to the Philippians, but it's written for us. God in his sovereignty has preserved this in accurate form, and we we know that because of all the the manuscripts we have. This is what he wrote to them, and we can read it and understand because it's scripture and apply it to us, but first we need to understand what was going on there before we can apply it to us. A lot of times we read scripture and we think, oh, this was written to me, an American in 2023, and we take things out of context. So, A little bit of context, who's writing? His name is Paul. Paul was a pretty cool guy. Um, He was a Jew. He was Jewish. He was a Roman. That was unique to be both Jewish and Roman. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee. You know, a lot of the other apostles, they were blue-collar guys, right? They were construction workers. They were fishermen. Paul had gone through Harvard. He was that type, right? He had been educated, um, and he he was a Pharisee, a, a Jew of the Jews, he called himself. Um, and he was so ambitious for God that when the church started, he started killing Christians. He was one, he was ambitious, rounding up Christians, putting them into prison until God, Jesus, decides to appear to him. He's on a road, riding on his donkey or whatever it was, and and Jesus appears. He's like, hey, knucklehead. He's like, okay, who are you? He's like, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, there was his conversion experience. Jesus appeared to him. So he's an apostle. He gives his life over to Jesus and he turns into the greatest missionary of the early church. And so his life then, after some, some more education some, you know, within the church, he is then sent as a missionary. So here he is writing to Philippi, the church in Philippi. They are Philippians. Um, If you want to read the story this week, it's in Acts 16. If you're a note taker, just write that down. Acts 16. In Acts 16, we see Paul on a missionary journey. And as he's going with his companions, he has a desire to go over here. He's like, we're going to go there. We're going to share the gospel. And it says that the Spirit keeps preventing him. We don't know how. Maybe his car ran out of gas. Uh, Maybe they canceled his flight. We don't know how the Spirit prevented him, but he couldn't go where he wanted to go. And so he did the right thing. He went to sleep. While he's sleeping, he has this dream, a vision. A man from a place called Macedonia says, hey, (laughs) right? In this dream, he's like, come over here. So Paul took that to be God telling him, hey, I stopped you from going here. I want you to go there. So they go to Macedonia, which is Philippi. Philippi is one of the main cities in Macedonia. Here's something we need to know about Philippi. It was Roman. It was one of the main Roman outpost cities. Uh, Remember the the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? It kind of did. Well, Philippi was on one of those main roads, and it was a Roman city. So most of the people that lived there, a lot of them would be Roman citizens. There's a lot of pride in being a Roman citizen. So here you see in these first few verses, Paul is writing to the believers um, and yeah, I mean, we could take forever going through all these verses, but we're not. But he's writing to the saints, which is all the believers, okay? He, uh, he's writing to the leaders, the overseers, those would be elders, and the deacons, those would service positions. He's writing to all of them, and this is a unique and diverse group. So when, when Paul initially went to Philippi, because it's a Roman city, uh, he tried to do what he normally did. His, his pattern was he goes into a town, into a city, he goes to the synagogue, And and preaches Jesus to the Jews. Why? Because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. A faithful Jew, somebody who loved God and was following him, would hear the good news of Jesus as their Messiah. They would believe and be converted. The early church was mainly Jewish people converted. He goes to Philippi. He looks for the synagogue. There isn't one. That means there weren't six Jewish men in the city. It took six Jewish men to make a synagogue. There wasn't that many Jewish men. Meaning, very pagan, very Roman. Not Jewish at all. So he goes, he's like, all right, well, let's go to the, uh, let's find a place of prayer. Often those are going to be down by the river. So they go down by the river, they find some women there praying. So, and it looks like these are, are God fears. So they're Gentiles, not Jews, but they have an idea of the Jewish God, it looks like. So they're praying to the Jewish God. They go, preach Jesus, they're saved. The main one we hear about there is Lydia. So our oldest daughter is named after her. Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman, a trader in purple fabrics. She believed, right? So she believes, um, invites them, hey, come stay at our house. They go stay there. Day after day, they're going to uh, this place of prayer together. Now, this slave girl starts following them and she's possessed by a, a demon or she has a demon um, and she has the ability to see some things, um, right? Uh, demons are not all-knowing, but she, her owners are making money from fortune-telling. Well, this, this slave girl is following them, going, hey, the most high God sent them. Hey, you, sh-, you know, all this. And Paul gets annoyed one day, and he just turns around. And he's like, get out of her. Like, go away. The demon leaves her, and now she's free from the demon, but her owners aren't making money anymore, so they're ticked. So they get Paul and Silas, one of his companions, arrested. They take them, they put them in prison, they put them in the stocks, um, which is deep in the prison, and they do what most of us would do in that situation. Um, The middle of the night, they pray and they sing hymns. Um, An earthquake happens, and when the earthquake happens, it shakes, all their chains fall off, not just theirs, but the other prisoners. So there are other prisoners in the jail, all their chains fall off. Uh, The jailer wakes up, looks in and says, oh no, pulls out his sword to fall on it because he's guilty of all, and they said, hey, don't kill yourself. We're all here. None of us left. He's like, what? What can I do to be saved? I mean, God uses this. The jailer is converted. By the way, as we read through Lydia, her whole household is also converted. The jailer, his whole household is converted. We can assume maybe the slave girl was converted there. Maybe some of the other prisoners saw this. They were converted. Unique experience. Here's my point. This was a very diverse group. They started meeting at Lydia's house to do their church services. A jailer and his household a wealthy lady, some prisoners. I mean, this is a group coming together. This is who he's writing to. Some years have passed, it looks like, between then um, and, and now when he's writing. Paul is in prison, probably in Rome. He's expecting, likely, possibly, to be dying soon there in Rome. And so he's writing back to Philippi. This is probably his favorite church. We know that because as he goes through, he just loves the heck out of them. He really has one correction, um, and it's unity. So that's kind of another big theme. I mean, he nails two ladies in specific later in the book, Iodia and Syntyche. He says, you two tell them they need to get along, right? They're both faithful servants. They're they're both part of the the kingdom. They're doing good work, but they're at each other. I mean, that used to happen back then. Um, And he's like, they need to get along, That's kind of the only thing he has to say to them as a correction. So this letter he's writing is a thank you letter. He is in prison. The church at Philippi had sent their pastor, Epaphroditus, with a care package, right? He had had a box, money, food, stuff, come, and they give it to him. Paul is writing back. He's probably dictating it to Timothy, who's writing, Hey, Timothy, write this. He's writing, Epaphroditus is going to go back with this thank you letter. So in this intro, we're going to see Paul's... Thanksgiving. And it's in a a form of a prayer. When I think about you, here's what I thank God for. Then he's going to say, and here's the confidence I have in you because some of this. And then he's going to say, here's how I'm praying for you. And so it's kind of helpful to look at this church. What is he thankful for? How does he encourage them? What is he confident about? And then how does he pray for them in their future growth where, where God is leading them? So let's look at this. Verse three. Well, I'm skipping my notes, and some of you are good note-takers, and you'll find me afterwards, so I'm going to do my best. The church in Philippi was diverse, yet a very healthy and good example for us, this diverse group. Now, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So here's Paul, when I'm thinking about you, I rejoice, and here's what I thank God for. Kind of a side note, they really care about one another. This is what sticks out to me when I read this. Paul really cares about these people, and they truly, really care about about him. I think this is a good example for us as a church. Do we have those relationships? We, We can't know everybody, but are there those, I mean, we really care for That they're in jail, we're going to be sending a care package, right? They can call at midnight and we show up. They have these kind of relationships. And he's thankful, and he's thankful for a reason. Paul rejoices in thanksgiving because this church was faithful to partner in gospel work. That's what he's thankful for. Uh, Verse 5, because of your partnership. He's thankful and joyful because of their partnership. That word is koinonia. Often it's translated fellowship. So it, it means more than just kind of partnership. It means a relational partnership, a, a uniting together relationally with a purpose and a mission. So I, at the beginning, you know, I talked about a place to belong. You can have that that group that sits at the table right at lunch. In school. Well, that's a group, but not really with a mission. Fellowship has the idea of you're, uni- and you're doing something. You're going somewhere. So maybe more like like military, a, a unit. We're, we're together, and we have this thing to accomplish. So that's them. He says, I'm thankful because you have participated with me. They participated so quick. So he was in Philippi that first time, right? Preached, left town maybe a week. Maybe, he wasn't there very long. From there, he went to a place called Thessalonica. While there, they sent a gift to him there. They sent him money to support him like the next week. They were that fast to participate. In fact, this church uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul will refer to them. He says, they are a great example. You should be like them. They were poor, they were persecuted, but everywhere I went, they kept sending me money, (laughs) right? They kept supporting the mission of what God had. And so that's what he's thankful for, that they partnered. You know, we're, we're looking at this example here. And I think this is one of those. There's a lot of truths we can kind of pull from this, but they're participating with God's work. They're going to, we're going to see later, they're faithful at home, right? They're faithful in what they're doing, but whether they were a businesswoman, a jailer, a school teacher, they were participating because they were united with this group and, and they were contributing. They were giving to missions work. They were giving to Paul. They were making a difference. When we belong to a healthy church, And get involved, we are partnering with gospel work. You know, we could go down the list here of of the things God does um, through our church. Now, if you've been here very long, you know we really care about the other churches in town. We're not the only, we think, godly church. There's quite a few. um, And sometimes it's helpful to even move churches. Like, God's doing something there, and my skills fit, and so we can move and be part. But God is doing things. If you are partnering here, God is moving, right? Uh, Joanna. In Guinea, we we partner with the missions work there. We're sending a group to Thailand coming up. We're we're partnering there locally. um, We support local schools, private Christian schools, and also public schools and teachers, right? We're involved trying to serve them. We think teachers in all schools, public or private, it's really important. So there's a a lot of things we do. There's the uh, CG CG Cares team, if you're not familiar with that. Um, Janet Alvarez leads that, uh, serving those who are shut in who can't get out, and that's significant. So there's a lot of significant things that happen. Um, Again, we're not unique in that, I I don't think. Other churches are doing their things. But when you partner, you're partnering with what God is doing, even if it's not you doing it, if that makes sense. And I think that's part of Paul's point, that they are partnering. And because they're partnering, Paul is confident. So now we move. I'm joyful, I'm thankful because you've partnered. Now here's my confidence in you, verse 6. Verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Because of their participation, Paul had some confidence. What was his confidence? That they were saved, that they belonged to him. He says, I have some confidence in you. Have you ever um, struggled, right, um, after? I'm talking to those. Maybe you've given your life to Jesus. You're like, man, sometimes this is hard, (laughs) right? I, I, I'm wrestling through. I, I don't see a lot of fruit in my own life. I don't see the growth that I would want to. I, I'm doing all these things, but I'm not seeing it. This is supposed to be encouragement. Hey, if God began a good work in you, he will complete it. Trust him. The picture here really is of God's sovereignty. Now, there is some deep theology in this one verse, because he, he says, if, if he began a good work, meaning salvation, he's talking about salvation here, and salvation really has three parts. One is justification. It says, you have been saved, past tense. You confess that you believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and you've given your life to him. You are made right with God because of Jesus' work alone. But, and that's how he began the work. He's gonna continue it. That's sanctification. And that's where we partner with God in changing our lives to become more like him and, and doing good works until the day that Christ returns. That's glorification, right? Someday Jesus is gonna come back. We're gonna get new bodies. We're gonna be in the new kingdom, new heaven, new earth, forever. And so he, he very uh, relationally and, and, and uh, not too theologically shares these deep truths, right? God began a work. I'm sure he's going to complete it. Now, here's the question, though. Why was Paul confident in their initial salvation? What gave him the confidence to say, he began a good work in you, he's going to complete it? Because they were giving. Mm, we don't all like this message. The best evidence of true salvation is that a person will grow in their stewardship, being generous givers of their time, talent, and treasure. When we talk about stewardship, we typically talk about all three, your time. How do you spend your time? How do you use your talents? What do you do with your treasure? And specifically here, Paul was talking about their, their giving, their material giving to him and his work. Because let's be honest, our heart and our wallet are kind of connected. You ever seen those chain wallets, right? So, so That chain really goes to the heart, <laughs> How we spend our money shows what we really believe, what we really love. And, and this is kind of one of those, for, and this isn't supposed to be a guilt trip on anybody, right? That's not what we do here. But it's just a truth, right? Common Ground doesn't need your money. God, God is providing. But, but we, we need to check, are, are we really committed to God in that way? Because how we use our money shows where our heart really is. And so here, because they were faithful, I mean, from the start, now, here's kind of a unique thing that sticks out to me. Most people, when they, they, they read the Bible, they come to church, a friend shares the gospel, they get saved. It takes years, typically, for them to realize, oh, wait, I should give, right? Part of my relationship with God is that I'm, I give back to him, um, and that's a principle throughout all of scripture. These, these folks, it took like a week. I, I mean, for me, that's a little bit of a, oh, I wish I grew that fast. <laughs> they initially, I mean, they gave right away. They showed true faith in jesus christ and that was just evidence now verse 7 says it is right for me to feel this way about you all because i hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel now remember this is a letter. This isn't, you know, a theological treatise like like the book of Romans or even Ephesians. This is a letter. And he's saying, I am thankful for you. I rejoice in you. You've been partakers. And here, he has some more joy for even a different reason. And it is what? He says, they are partakers with me of grace. Meaning, this is the partnership. Now, this is no longer just financial giving. This is, we are united together. When? In good times and bad times. This is kind of another message within, right, the overall idea is we're supposed to belong and make a difference in a church, but that is, there's a lot of pieces of that. You know, here he's saying, you have been committed to one another to me through thick and thin. You haven't been fair weather fans. You know, when Paul, at times, he would preach, whatever, great things would happen. Paul looked powerful, right? He, he, he had the ability to, to speak. Many would be saved, unite. I mean, he, had, he was doing good work. Well, people want to join that, right? Uh, there's, I want to be part of what God's doing there. But, but then he goes to prison? Or, or there's times where it's like, I want to go there and I can't, you know, things aren't going so well. They were still there. They were with them through thick and thin. And I think this is a message the American church needs, right? Do we want to be part when it's just really cool or really good? Or are we willing to stick through the hard times, right? The, the slow times. We, we want to see big growth, all these things, but honestly, and, and Paul has shared this recently, this Paul, not this Paul. Um, our growth often is little by little, right? It, it's one step at a time, little steps. Are we willing to stick through that long, hard work? Because let me tell you, our our commitment to the church, a, a place to belong and make a difference, it's lifelong. It's not for just a little while. And if God chooses to lead you to another town, another city, you're supposed to. You should. You need to find another church as soon as possible where you can belong and make a difference. We are part of a body together. Now, Again, they're, they're, they're with them through thick and thin. Um, how do we measure success? You know, again, a lot of t- we want to be part of the mega church or, or, or whatever it is, or a church plant for the same reason. Oh, there's a lot of things happening. It looks really good. How do we measure success? Um, I had lunch with uh, Dave, the missionary in Thailand, Ben's father-in-law, Melissa's dad. And when we went, and we had lunch at uh, Red's 395, which is great. He was sitting there, and, and it was, he asked a question, and he seemed a little bit hesitant. He said, how do you measure success? So, so we're talking about partnering with him. We're going to send a team out there. He said, be honest with me. How do you, how do you measure success? And he was. On, his concern is, you Americans, and he is American, but he's been there a long time. Americans have this idea of we get involved, and, and boom, right, big and great. He's like, how are you going to measure success? I said, well, here, here's the truth. Um, I think we measure success through Faithfulness through obedience. And then God handles the fruit. And that can be tough. We want to see fruit. We want to see things happen. But honestly, success is faithfulness as a church, but also in in our personal lives. Success is what, God, what are you having me to do? This one little step, boom, that's success. Faithful obedience, and then God handles the rest. So often we, we want the big thing, right? When really he says, no, just be faithful. Just be faithful, little by little by little. So, this is in your notes, as we participate with gospel work, success is measured by faithful obedience. We trust God with the rest. There is so much freedom in that, so much freedom in that. Are we doing what God asks us to do, right? Not trying to manipulate or create something, but let him do the work because we're in it through thick or thin. Now, Paul is going to finish this kind of intro with, now here's how I'm praying for you. I love you. He's already said that. I love you. You guys are awesome. Um, God is going to complete the work. Be encouraged. But here's all I'm praying for you as you move forward right now and going on. And this is verse 8 through 11. It says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he's praying for them. I know you're saved. God is doing a work. You guys are united together. We're we're part of this. Here's what I want God to continue to do, meaning I know you haven't arrived yet. So there's even a little piece in that. Hey, you guys are great, but you haven't arrived yet. There's still some growth, and here's how I'm hoping your growth will work itself out. And so he prays this, that when a believer belongs to a church, they will increase in love for God and for others. That's his prayer. And then he puts some things around it. I pray that you're going to grow in your love. Let your love continue. Let your love grow. Paul would write elsewhere to Timothy. Um, Timothy, who is the one writing this, he writes to Timothy later when he's a pastor of a church, and he says, hey, the goal, let me just remind you the goal of all we're doing, the goal of our instruction is love. Love from a pure heart and a sincere motives, right? We want us to be right, but the goal is love. So, yeah, part of our measure, I mean, for, uh, we're saved and then we're going to give quickly. Even a better measure is, is our love, right? That we are growing in love. We love what God loves. We love one another. But he puts some, some teeth around this, right? Because our, our culture would say love is you accept everything no matter what. If you love me, you're going to approve of everything I approve of for me. That's not love, Right? Paul is going to put some some things around love, saying love needs to be according to what's true, right? So so a young person that comes to me and, you know, a a boy says, I think I'm a girl and you should call me Susie. It's not loving for me to go, okay. Now, there's grace around how do we handle that situation, but love, love would go, this isn't best for you because it's not true. And so here, what's he talking about? That our love may abound more and more, grow with knowledge and discernment. How do you summarize knowledge and discernment? Wisdom. Wisdom. What is wisdom? It's the application of knowledge. Right? Knowing, which means as we are together, this is what we're doing, right? We're looking at God's word, hopefully gaining in knowledge. We get together in groups. How? Hopefully to apply that knowledge. That's where a lot of that discernment comes together. Hey, I'm going through this in in life. How do we apply this? You know, we talk about groups. Why do we focus so much on groups? Uh, Because a lot of us through life, we have what's called need-to-know moments or need-to-grow moments. Times where, where life is happening and I need to know something that's true. Well, you get with a group, somebody in there might know the right passage or the experience. Hey, here's what's true. Or we have need to grow moments. I'm stumbling in sin. Somebody in my family is struggling. Whatever, I need to, I need to grow. My faith isn't strong. And we come together. Those moments we go together. And that's what we see here, that our, our knowledge or that our love grows according to what's true and how to apply that truth. That's what discernment is, how to apply that truth. So, I think it's already been up there, but our love grows along with our knowledge of truth and the ability to apply God's truth. Now, there's some verses or there's some words here that are really cool, that really help us to understand this. So, this is how we grow. So that, verse 10, why? What's the purpose? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He refers again to the future, the day of Christ. That's when Jesus returns. So here's what I'm hoping you, when Jesus returns, I hope he finds you this way. And what is that? That you would be, that you would approve. That's the first word, verse 10. So that you may approve. That's a cool word. That word approve means to test, to see if something is authentic or not. It's like uh, you get a gold coin and you, you bite it. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. Uh, you, you know, you bite it to see if it's soft. That, that's how you test it, to see is this really gold? You know, or other, there's other things you can do to test. You get a $100 bill, you hold it up. Like, does it have the thing? And that, you, you test these things. So what he's saying here is you, two things actually, you should be able to test the things that come your way. Whether it's a truth statement or you test these, right? And in it, also you will be tested. These testings come and as we are, right, part of a church and and understanding God's word, we go through and we we test it together, right? We're not on an island, but we're we're testing so that we can decide and figure out, discern what's actually true, what's actually right, and that I can go through testing and go through it well, right, and grow through it. So here's something about faith. Uh, Faith is a muscle, and like any other muscle, it it grows, right? Say you decide you're gonna start working out, you're gonna, I'm just gonna go bench 400 pounds. Bad idea, (laughs) Right? So you work out slowly and you work up. Faith is kind of the same way. And our God is good. And he'll give you little tests of faith. Little tests of faith until someday he's gonna throw a big test of faith at you, or it's just gonna happen. And so these little ones, and it grows. And so here, this is part of that that testing. We're going through it over and over. Again, little little steps to later big steps. Why? So that when Christ comes back, what will he find? That we will be found pure. That word pure is the word often translated sincere. Uh, It's actually, again, it's a cool Greek word that is two words put together, sun-tested, elekrine. And so what it means is is to be pure or to be sun-tested. It was referring to, again, their culture. They didn't have grocery bags. Um, They didn't have boxes. Uh, They didn't have a lot of glass. What they took things in was ceramic, right, jars and and bowls and things. Um, And so they had these, and that was a big, obviously, industry then, was creating all these. Well, you create a, a jar, and then you drop the thing. Well, it's no good anymore, right? You can't take that clay back down. So what they might do is they might take that broken jar and put it back together. And they would stick it. They didn't have super glue, so they used wax. And so they could put these jars back together with wax. Well, that is, that is not a pure jar. It's, it's broken, but it looks good. It, but it's not authentic. It's not sincere. And so they would test it. So you're in the market, this is the whole point. You're walking through the market, you know, here's the person selling the meat, here's the one with the fish. Oh, here's the bowls. I need a bowl. You go, you're like, this one looks good. You hold it up to the sun. When you hold it up to the sun, the sun would shine through those wax cracks. you would go, mm, this one's no good. Right? That's the point. That we go through these testing, and we, we testing so that when Jesus returns, he holds you up to the sun and he goes, Yep, pure, sincere, authentic. You didn't just go through the motions. You didn't fake it. You're not just a religious person. You're mine. You've shown yourself to be truly mine. So what's the big point? As we get involved in a church and go through this, we want to grow. We grow in love. So that someday, when Christ comes back, he looks at you and goes, well done, good and faithful servant. Yep, you're the real deal. You're not a broken pot put together with, with wax. You are the real deal. So the result of participating with our church is that we will pass the test of life and be shown to be authentic when Jesus returns. Now, let me fix that note. I wrote this note. I'm gonna put should be, right? right? The result in participating with our church should be that we pass the test, right? None of us are perfect. Um, It should be that we go through this together. But that's why we do this together. Now, how does he finish? Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness, That comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Let's go back to verse 6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus, meaning God is in control of your salvation, beginning to end. Now, we partner really with the sanctification process, but God's in control. And if faithfulness is success, success is measured by just faithful obedience, then we will see the fruit of righteousness, that comes through Jesus Christ, meaning he creates those things. The fruit is, is the fruit, good things in our lives, right? More obedience in us. Other people say that's the fruit of righteousness, but he does the work, meaning we're faithful. We, we just follow, we're free to be faithful. We're free to follow and let him handle those details. Now, we told you at the beginning and last week that uh, we, we wanna do these next steps. We, we wanna be faithful to the next steps more and more often. Um, Because God has something for each of us. Again, we gather not just to be religious uh, or not to just do church, but we want to be faithful to what God has for us. And so what might your next steps be? Again, you can do it by scanning that thing in front of you and and follow the instructions. I did it, by the way, just now. Um, And I realized there's a lot of stuff to fill in, but you don't have to fill it all in. You have to do your email address, um, but you don't have to do the rest. Um, And in there are some of those Next steps, and part of that is, again, if we're doing this together, you know, like this is talking about, we wanna be aware. Like, what's God doing in your life? It's encouraging to me, personally, to leadership, but also, it helps us get a pulse. You know, if a lot of us answer the same way, we know, ooh, God is working in a specific way. And so, let me encourage you. Now, I'm a paper person. I, I like to do it on paper, and if you do it on paper, do it there and stick it in, but what might your next steps be? You know, what we have down here is join a group, Maybe your next step is, I really do need a place to belong. And here's here's the honest truth. God intends you to belong somewhere. Maybe it's here. Maybe it's at another church. We hope it's here. That's why we do discovery. And by the way, go to that if you haven't gone yet today to see, is this the place I should belong? If not, there's other great churches we can help you plug in. But but maybe it's, it's join a group. All right, I'm ready to actually dig into some relationships. Maybe it's start giving. Now, we don't talk a lot about giving here, and and I apologize for that. We probably should more. Um, But Common Ground doesn't need your money. That's not the point. We would talk about it. The point is our heart is connected to our wallet. So there's just a test, honestly. Where's your heart? What's God doing financially with you? Do you need to start giving, or do you need to start giving generously or sacrificially? When Paul refers to this church in 2 Corinthians, he says "They, they gave generously and sacrificially. And by the way, they were poor and persecuted. So you have no excuse. Right? He kind of lays it on thick with the Corinthians. But but maybe that's just maybe you're married. Talk to your spouse. What might God be doing with that? Or here's another one we put in: identify your greatest source of joy. Does that need to change? Right? Paul's in prison. And he says, I'm rejoicing in you. He's in prison. He's like, you guys are faithful and growing. God's doing great things. God's, and we're gonna see this next week. God's doing great things even here. What's your source of joy? Is it based on the right things or does that need to, to change? Now, we're going we're gonna to move to communion. Um, and as we do that, we're going to continue to worship. And we have our stations set around the room. Um, if you are a believer, let me encourage you, get up at, as you're comfortable after some, some time in prayer, whatever it is. Come, grab the cup, uh, grab the bread. We do this remembering Jesus' death. We're, we're looking back. Remembering his resurrection looking forward to him coming back. There's kind of a lot involved in this. And so we, we take a minute, examine our hearts. How are you, right? Did God speak to you in this? Maybe your application, your next step is not something we said at all. Great. You know, that's up to you. Uh, maybe, maybe here's your next step. Maybe you need to look at verse six and go, okay, I'm confident God began to work. I'm, I'm confident he's going to complete it. Right? Maybe you've been stressed, anxious. You look at your own life. Oh, I'm not good enough. There's not enough fruit. Maybe you just need the encouragement. Hey, God began a work in you. Trust him. Right? Be okay with that. He's going to complete that work. But let God speak to you. Um, we have our prayer walls. If you want to uh, share a prayer request, go put it in there. But then as you're ready, get up, go to one of these stations, and let's celebrate God for what he's done. Lord Jesus Christ, we, uh, we love you. Um, God, I am, I'm so encouraged as I look at your word. I look at how Paul and, and the other apostles write. Um, and they are such an example. God, they, they are pers- they're beaten for loving you. They're beaten for preaching.